You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Well, as we go through Genesis chapter 1, obviously we see God just doing what God does, creating, making all things new, and in this instance, making everything that is known. And you'll notice it's so important. I highlighted it when I read it, but when we get to the pinnacle of creation, when we get to the creation of human beings, we are told that it is very good. And I want you to know that this word good in the original language can also be translated beautiful. And so one of the things that we'll be showing you as we go through the book of Genesis, it's not just that God created the heavens and the earth, but he created them with the intent of making them beautiful. And we're going to show you that it can be the fact that the world can be a beautiful place. Often in church, we tend to focus on the sinful nature of human beings, and we talk a little bit more about the ugly side of things. We've got plenty of time for that in Genesis chapter 3. But until we get to the ugly side, let's talk about the beautiful things that God has done. Because here's the deal. I am convinced that what people need today is to embrace who they are in Christ. And he is beautiful. And he has a beautiful plan for your life as well. Each one of us can find a beautiful life in God's beautiful creation. Now, Moses, when he sat down to write this, he, he wasn't thinking about science teachers in, in, you know, in 3,000 years from the date of writing and how they were going to view this. He writes what he writes in, in such a way that we, we can just see now after all these years and looking back. He wasn't trying to write something scientific, but what's amazing is, is that God gave him such a clear vision of what the creation is that everything we learn in science today does not contradict it. We need to realize that scientists use a different language. They use the language of mathematics and that sort of thing. Obviously, I'm not a math teacher. I don't like math too much, so I think math is boring. I prefer the literature. So so if you like math, you know, we can read science and we can kind of see. But here's the deal. The math and the literature match up well because I believe Moses was allowed to see, as he writes the book of Genesis, God's uh, creative activities, his creative powers. It is incredible. The deeper you get into it, brothers and sisters, the more you see how amazing our God is, how he works through his prophets, his people, to give us the message we need. I am convinced that as we go through this book, the creation story will teach us how we can receive God's beautiful gifts for us, the beautiful gifts of life and salvation. Or we see as we go through the book of Genesis, we can receive those gifts or we can rebel against those gifts. And this is important. Genesis sets it up where we can understand how the world can be both a beautiful place and also it can be a place of sin and evil and chaos. You see, we all are either going to receive the gospel, receive the good things from God, or we're going to be in rebellion against those things. And so we'll see that here in the book of Genesis. And I'm here to tell you, rebellion leads us to emptiness, the void, darkness, and chaos. And if you're following close and you know this passage well, all I've done is use the very words of what the universe was before God and his creative powers got a hold of it. 
Before God shows up, we have chaos. But when, when he does show up, all those dark things go away. And I believe if we will humble our hearts and minds to Jesus this morning, whatever chaos you have in your heart can be settled by the word of God, by the truth of God, and by the cross of Jesus Christ. These chapters in Genesis, chapters 1 through 11, tell us so much about God. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to learn theology, who he is, and what he wants for us. So we will get to know God today. And we will learn why our message is such a beautiful message to share. Our search for meaning in the universe begins when we know who God is. And so let's do that right now. As we look at our first point here, verse 1, God is before space and time. Now that sounds like some kind of science fiction start. That's not what I mean. But in simple language, the Bible explains something to us that is anything but simple. Namely, God is the one unique being who existed before anything else in the universe. Those of you who are familiar with physics and science, you will know the term singularity. The physicists out there tell us about the singularity that occurs. In other words, when we look at the, the makeup of time and space, it all goes back to one millisecond. Before that millisecond, we are told there was nothing at all. And then in, in that very instant, there was everything that is. The singularity is what the physicists call it. And I'm just an old-fashioned, Bible-believing Christian. I don't necessarily need fancy terms like singularity. I just need, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the singularity, and let me tell you, God is a singularity, and there is none like him. And so today, that's what we want to do, is help you see that there is none like God. Notice he creates everything. The, the phrase, the heavens and the earth, that's poetry, brothers and sisters. That's a poetic saying. Uh, they're saying everything that is came from him. Look at that word created. God created that's a unique term in the Hebrew. It's used almost exclusively. There may be a time or two where it's used outside of this context, but it's almost always used in relationship to what God alone can do. This word is most often used to describe the unique activity of God. Those of you who are handy, you can build things. You could build a house or you could form some pottery, if you're a potter. Maybe you can do that. Those are, are creative acts that we as human beings can do. But the truth is, only God can create something out of nothing. And I'm here to tell you that that is exactly what Genesis is telling us. And the reality is, let me just say this, when we walk away from God, we are embracing more nothing and walking away from the something. And I know today that many people are really struggling with who they are as human beings. This search for significance and meaning is, it doesn't matter what part of the world you grew up in. It doesn't matter what the religious backdrop uh, is for you. Everybody is trying to understand and uncover their purpose in the world. And when we understand that God created us, and he created us good and beautiful, we begin to realize that he has a beautiful purpose for us. But notice this, a beautiful creation could only spring 
from the mind of a beautiful God. This world, every time you see something beautiful, a majestic sunrise, a mountainscape, a seascape, whatever it is, when you see something beautiful, realize the reason why it is beautiful and you can identify it as such is because God himself is beautiful and has put in us as image bearers the ability to appreciate that beauty. God is beautiful. And so, church, I tell our artistic staff all the time, our musicians, I want the most beautiful music here in the world because we worship a beautiful creator. We want to be expressive of this wonderful gift of life and the beauty he has surrounded us with. Yes, God created space and time, and he sent his only begotten son into space and time so that we could be delivered from our sinfulness it's in Genesis 3 that sin enters in, and, and because of that, we need Christ. And I'm here to tell you, even, even here today, Christ can and will enter in. God loves you. Now, I know that when we start talking Genesis, some people want to like pit science against creation and that kind of thing, and people will always go to evolution and Darwin. It's kind of interesting to me, Stephen Meyer, who wrote just this wonderful book about the God hypothesis. It's a relatively recent book. It's, it's worth reading if you like uh, some pretty heavy philosophy of science kind of stuff. And I know most of you do. You just love that stuff. Um, he says that Darwin's key concept was survival of the fittest, not arrival of the fittest. That's key. Because so many times when we're having these conversations with people who say they believe in science whatever that means, they say they believe in science, they're really not understanding what Darwin was doing. And part of the confusion is due to Darwin himself. He wrote this book called Origin of the Species, and then he doesn't tell us anything about origins. He talks about survival of the fittest, and he talks about what we would call like microevolution, the way that some, some things change over time. We have no problem with that. That doesn't go against the biblical narrative. You, you don't have to see some kind of problem there. But the issue is, is that Moses does the job that Darwin said he was going to do. Moses tells us that it is God who created the heavens and the earth. He tells us what we need to know. He shows us not just what we need to know, but he shows us how we can be a beautiful part of the creation. You see, God is the backdrop of your entire existence. Everything that surrounds you right now came into existence because of God. And when we think like this, we can think rightly and live rightly. Brothers and sisters, we need to not just think right. This world needs us to live right needs us to, to have motivation to, to, to serve God. And I want you to know that this word here, the, the name of God, God in verse 1 is Elohim. This is the first appearance of this word. It appears 2,750 times. I didn't count them all, but somebody told me that's the truth. 2,750 times the word Elohim, God. Listen, the Bible, the Old Testament is filled with a message about God. And I want to tell you, just this as an aside, if we will really be Bible-believing Christians, then our worship and our ministry, it won't be about us. It will be about God. It's about God. We do what we do. We worship and we minister, not for ourselves, but to give glory unto God. And I know some folks in this room, you're hurting and you're sad. Let me just tell you, the one who created us can also recreate us. The message of God, the God who is before space and time, he not only created you, but you came into this world and many of us have made mistakes. You can call them mistakes or you can call them sin. 
And there's something in our hearts that's broken. But I want to tell you, the God who created everything out of nothing can recreate you by the power of the blood of Jesus. We have the hope of resurrection life. We can be recreated. If you are here today and you feel broken, I only know to say this to you. There is healing in Jesus. There is hope in the blood. And that's what we need to realize. Life, it may not be as beautiful as it could be, but we have to surrender our heart to the one who always has been, the one who created space and time. If we will surrender to him, he will recreate us. That brings us to our next point, and that is God is the correction of your chaos. Now, I know that you have chaos in your life because those of you with kids brought your children to church today. <laughs> hey, can I get an amen? I'll get a bigger amen in the second service. I'm telling you, our second service is fantastic to see all the, all the, the, the young families and kids in here. It is awesome. It's a little bit of a party, but it's, it's awesome. It's good. Let me tell you, I, for years and years and years, my wife got the kids ready for church, and I, I came to church, and I was all excited and fresh and just ready to serve the Lord, and she came in, and well, she wasn't as fresh and excited as I was. And had something to do with them kids. But anyway, chaos. Now notice this. Meyer is so good. He says, belief in God dissolves the fear of meaninglessness. The fear of meaninglessness. Now, we can take that to this big-time existential place, or we can just talk about our day-to-day lives. I mean, there are days when, when, even in our jobs, we show up and we do our work and we say, you know what, I really needed to be there today. I, I really made a difference. And then there are other days where it just doesn't seem like we're getting any traction. Everything we did, every project went the wrong direction. Some days it just feels like we're lacking in meaning. And when you take that over time, And the enemy begins to to pour poison into your ear and just says, you know, you're really not worth much. You know, the world doesn't need you. Why do you think people are tempted to take their lives? Well, they've listened to the lie of the tempter telling them that they're meaningless. If you've been listening to that voice, let me tell you right now, and with no uncertain terms, he is a liar. You are meaningful. You are loved by God. The devil may hate you, but Jesus loves you. And we love you. And you are important to us. Is your life chaotic right now? Yeah, we're not going to deny it. But we also will not deny that the Lord can bring you peace. Look at Genesis 1.1 and 1.2. There's a big difference here. You know, he, creates, he created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Some people think that between verse 1 and 2, there's this huge gap of time, maybe. Uh, some people think that, that there's a whole lot going on there, that the fine-tuning of the universe, as it were, happens between uh, verses 1 and 2. And then maybe in verse 3, uh, we've got something else going on here. Again, it's not about the scientific understanding of the universe. Uh, but what I want you to see here is the, the emphasis is that all that comes into existence, all these particles, all these molecules, all these atoms, at that very first instance, they are, for lack of a better term, chaotic. And what you begin to see is the work of God is always correcting chaos and always moving us towards something beautiful, perfect, and balanced. Now get this in your head. This is important. Chaos is the enemy. Order is from God. That's what we see in this passage. Notice this balance. The earth was without form and void. One one scholar, uh, Alan P. Ross, brilliant man, he says, something is drastically wrong. And there is something wrong. Some people say, now again, uh, you know, I'm not going to say 100% sure this is the way it is. But some people say between verse 1 and 2 is where you have the fall of Lucifer. 
But that's where some of the chaos is, and then the chaos is corrected, and order begins as Lucifer is, for lack of a better term, put in his place. Now, we don't know that for sure, but it would somewhat fit this kind of change from chaos to order. Notice what brings the order. The Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Listen, that's when God, that's how we know God is here. He begins to correct the chaos. Pain and suffering in this world cause chaos. And as I tell you often, we look across the world right now in Afghanistan or in other places in the world and we see that chaos. To exist in this world is to know something about the void. Let me say this, there is so much. When we run into meaningless hate, um, it's just, a, there's a blank there. It's like, why in the world would someone want to be that way? When you look at people who are cruel to other people, you just say, what's wrong with them? I'll tell you what's wrong with them. They're lost in their sins. When you have sin filling your heart, that leads to chaos, not just in your heart. The storm in your heart will not stay in your heart. If you allow the chaos of your heart to remain, the chaos and the storm of your life will cause the winds to blow outside of your heart and begin to impact those around you. You were not created to cause chaos. You were not created to contribute to the void. You were created in the image of God to help bring order to the world. Church, let me say it again. You were created to bring order to the world not chaos. God expects his church to contribute beautiful things to the world, not ugliness. Now, I want you to get this. God's got to show up to bring order. And the confusion inherent in a situation, it, the more confusion that you're experiencing right now, all that tells me is, is that you're a few more steps away from God. Now, listen, this is important. I want you to get this. How do we apply this truth? Well, as we draw near to God, we draw near to calmness and beauty. Now, the application is this. Every day, you make choices. Every day, those choices either make the world more calm or chaotic. Now, here's the deal. There's a lot of people in church that seem to be more like now, they bring the storm with them. You know, they say, I am the storm. Well, they must be Baptists because I've seen it all my life. Now, I'm sure it's true with the Methodists too, I won't, but I'm not a Methodist, so I'm not going to pick on them right now. But here's the deal. If you are a person who brings more chaos to an equation, let me just tell you, that is not a gift from God. God expects the church and his people to make a difference in the world, making the world a more beautiful place and calming it down a little bit. I'm sick and tired of Christians telling me how bad the world is. I'd like to see you help me make it a calm place. Quit complaining and help me make it calm. How do we do that? We love God with all of our heart, strength, soul, and mind, and we love each other as we would love ourselves. Amen? Amen. That's just Jesus. That's what he said. We need to love people. And we need to have a heart check. We cannot be the source of the chaos. The world has too much of it right now. Join with Ridgecrest. Join with us as we, as we uh, strive to just bring beautiful calmness to hurting souls. Amen? Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to see people who are right now shook up and backward find the Lord? 
Our third point is this. God is alive and he's the giver of the life you have in need. Uh, this philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, it's a French last name and I just butchered it. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> I listened to it eight times this morning. It's Sartre or something like that. I don't know. I don't recommend reading this guy. So this is a quote, and if you're at home and you're watching, if I get that email today and says, oh, do you realize who you quoted? Why, yes, I do. (laughs) This guy figured into my dissertation. So yes, I actually am somewhat familiar with what he wrote. And it's so sad. Listen to this quote. No finite point has any meaning unless it has an infinite reference point. That's true. And he spent the rest of his career trying to disprove it. That's what's sad. He ended up in a place where there was no meaning, there was no place to stand, everything was relative, and no foundation for the beautiful life. But he is right. If we have a finite point, we can stand. Look at Genesis 1, 3 through 31 with me. It gives us six days of creation. And I have no problem personally believing in a six-day creation and God resting on the seventh day. Here's why. The older I get, the more I realize that what God's Word says is more true than anything I've ever said. And, and, and though uh, the scientists say, well, no, it's gotta be, it could be ages or eons and all those things. Listen, if you guys want to argue that, um, there are experts in that field. That's not for me today. But I just, to me, I'll just take it as it is, and that's good enough. And I believe that, that life begins here. We see light is created, verses 3 through 5. Then God divides the waters above in the, and in creating heaven also above, uh, verses 6 through 8. Next, in verses 9 through 13, we see the earth filling up with vegetation, and the barren land becomes green with plants, reproducing and spreading out. Then we watch as God creates the rhythms of the planets and the glories of the universe. Moses didn't have access to the Hubble telescope, but uh, man, imagine if he did, because what he describes are the glories of the heavens. And then in verses 20 through 23, we see that the living creatures are brought in, and then verse 24 through 31, there's you, the creation. Of all the majestic elements of creation, you are the pinnacle. Many souls desperately need to hear this today. Let me tell you why. Too many people are whispering into the ears of our young people in particular that we are an ugly people. Notice, notice what so many, you know, the, the people that, that really get you worked up and upset, those people are the ones who are trying to make us feel like we're always doing it wrong. They want to put us down and make us feel bad. But when we go to God's word, we see that there's a reason why we feel bad. It's because of sin. And there is a solution to sin, and his name is Jesus. And so instead of listening to the world and how ugly you are, what you have to do is turn to Jesus. You were created with the capacity to be very beautiful. One person puts it this way, the divine plan is, let us make man. The divine pattern is, let's make him in our image. And the divine purpose is, let him have dominion. What that tells me is, is that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we have the ability here today to walk away from the chaos of sin and walk to the love of Jesus. This world is made for you, and you were made for God. In Moses' day, the mythologies of the ancient Near East all had theories of how the world came to be. All of those theories made human beings to be nothing more than toys and playthings of the gods. Moses stands against that and says, no, God loves you and created you to be the gem and the jewel of his creation. 
Today, we don't have those mythologies bothering us, but what we have are those uh, secular materialists who say, they, they use you know, big-time language, they say, well, we're just nothing but the dust of stars. Well, that sounds great, but that's not how Scripture paints the picture. You're actually more glorious than the stars. The stars have a shelf life, but in Christ, you don't. The stars won't last forever. They will not burn in the sky forever. But if you trust in Jesus today, you will remain forever in the resurrection power of God. You say, how is that possible? Well, the one who created the heavens and the earth can recreate you. And some of us need to walk from the chaos and into the light and hope and life of Jesus. At this time, I'm going to ask our, our pastoral staff, those who are, are here, our, our servants that are going to do the invitation, if you will, please come. And I realize that as we think about this subject today, decisions need to be made. Chapter 2 tells us this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Ironically, the first step for each of you here today, if the chaos of sin has taken over, is to do what God shows us needs to be done and rest. The concept of rest is the concept of God reordering what has gone out of line, out of whack. Jesus is the culmination of the Sabbath, and I know some of you are restless, and you will not find any rest until you put your rest in him. The chaos, the chaos of sin, it needs to stop today, and it will only stop today if you'll rest in Jesus. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.